Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. Amen. Uh, That song's got me excited about Worship Weekend coming up in September. Uh, I think our Faith Worship Arts is going to be doing a live recording that weekend. It's going to be an awesome weekend. Uh, Man, I'm glad you're here today. I really am. Let's take a moment and let's welcome our campuses, Redbug Lake and our Michigan Street campus here at Cray Ford. Let's go crazy for them. And uh, you guys put your hands together. We're just kind of celebrating being one church in a couple different locations. And uh, it's going to be a great day. If you're joining us on the screen somewhere else, I encourage you just to lean into what God is saying. We are actually... uh, launching a new series uh, today. It'll be a couple weeks we're going to be on this topic called, uh, it's a topic called Doctrine, and everybody yawned together. Yeah, doctrine's not usually the most exciting thing that uh, people, uh, you know, they don't think of excitement, but uh, sound doctrine is becoming so valuable in this culture. I mean, there's so many blurry lines on, on what the Bible has to say, that's what the word doctrine means. It's just a, a set of beliefs uh, that we would hold to, that we would teach uh, from the Word of God. That's what doctrine is. And so we're going to uh, launch into this couple of weeks where we talk about sound doctrine and, and uh, hit a couple of uh, doctrinal issues that maybe there's some confusion on out there. So it'll be great, and we're going to pray that God would, would uh, speak to us. So pray with us, if you would, that God would just uh, speak to you, that you'll be, we'll be open to what the Word of God says. Not even, it's not even this isn't about the p- opinions of man or the p- opinions of a church or a movement or a denomination. We're just going to look at the Word of God and uh, accept what the Word says about our lives. So let's pray and, and see if God can uh, help us today. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. It is more than enough. And Lord, I just pray that today you would speak to us, that you would uh, open our ears to hear what you are saying to us. Um, Father, I just pray for any area of our life that does not line up with your word, that does not line up with sound doctrine. Lord, let today be the day we deal with it. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen, amen. Uh, you can get your Bibles out and go to Ephesians chapter 4, or you can turn your Bible on however you roll. Ephesians chapter 4 and Romans chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 4 and Romans chapter 1. They'll be on the screens uh, behind me. Also, if you want to take some notes on our app, you can take notes. All of our scriptures will be there and a spot for you to even take some notes on the Faith Assembly app. Uh, very easy way to do that. So that's available to you as well. I know we just, uh, this was in the, uh, we had a video a moment ago, but I wa- as I walked through the back to school outreach that happened yesterday, I, I had a hard time not tearing up. I was having a hard time not tearing up during that video. I just one more time want to say thank you to all of you who made that happen. Pastor Cody and this event started with Pastor Wayne, started this event years ago. It has evolved into this amazing 
One of the ways that we measure success as an organization is that we want to be practical and relevant. And as I walked around, I just was overwhelmed with this sense that we are meeting a practical and relevant need in the lives of the families in our community. It was so amazing. So many of you uh, served, so many of you gave towards it. Really a record, uh, record amount came in for this outreach. And I want you to know if you sowed into this ministry, it was, it was ground well sowed into. It was amazing to see the looks on those families and the kids' faces, and man, it was just an awesome day, so I, I want to say thank you to everyone who made that happen. All right, you ready for the word? Yes. All right, because I'm not going to preach till you're ready. Are you ready for the word? Yes. All right, here we go, here we go. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. Uh, this would be our kind of series text here. Ephesians 4, 14 says this, then we will no longer be like children, Forever changing our minds about what we believe because someone has told us something different or has cleverly lied to us and made the lie sound like the truth. Oh, if there was ever a 2022 verse of scripture, we have just found it. Ephesians 4:14, that we, the church, would no longer be like children, forever changing our minds about what we believe because someone told us something different, because someone watched a TikTok video that says something different, because somebody saw a Facebook that where somebody said something different, they cleverly lied to us and they made a lie sound like the truth. That's not gonna affect us. Why? Because we are going to be people of doctrine. Faith Assembly, we are going to be people of sound doctrine. We're gonna see what the Word of God has to say about how we should live. And this is such a, a, a need in in the world today, in society today, because what's happening in the world today is there is a suppression of truth. So what happens is, uh, as I look at um, truth, if my life doesn't line up with the truth, one of two things has to be suppressed. If I'm confronted with truth, I either have to suppress my wickedness or the parts of my life that don't line up, or I have to suppress the truth and just go with my desires and my wants. Romans chapter one talks about that we will be in that situation, and we are in that situation now. Romans 1, 17 and 18 says, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So first we hear about the righteousness of God. Then it says the wrath of God, here it is, these, these two competing Thoughts, the righteousness of God, the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth in their wickedness. The suppression of, of truth. So this right here, I don't know if you know what this is, this little spray bottle. And so what happens with a bottle like this is uh, you put something in there and then you start pumping it. And what this does as you pump it, it's suppressing the contents inside there. Now if you have a bottle like this and you pump it a bunch and you suppress it and you suppress it and you suppress it, you're not supposed to leave it like that. Because if you leave it like that, what's gonna happen at some point is the pressure, the suppression of that is gonna be messy. It's gonna be a situation you do not want to deal with. That's kind of where we're at in the world right now. There is such a suppression of truth that it is starting to be a messy situation. Matter of fact, the suppression of truth in our society would actually be comical if it wasn't so dangerous. 
I want to show a clip of a, of a video. It's, it's a clip from a documentary that I have not seen. If you don't like this documentary or the people who made it, I have not seen it. I did not make it. As a matter of fact, if you have any complaints, send them to complaints at firstnazarenechurch.org. Okay? They will deal with whatever complaints you have. But the reason why I show this clip from this documentary is it just shows where we are at as a society. Um, the clip is interviewing a, a, a professor at the University of Tennessee, Dr. Patrick Grazanka, I think is how you say his name. He is the uh, associate professor and chairman of the Indisciplinary Program in Women, Gender, and Sexuality at the University of Tennessee. Uh, his bio, he's been awarded research grants by high-profile scientific institutes, including the American Psychological Association, uh, Psychological Study of Social Issues, the National Science Foundation, so uh, he is an educator uh, and in some circles well-respected and, and uh, been shown grant money as a result of that. And um, I want to show this interview with him and I want you to put this on the backdrop of Romans chapter 1 talking about that there will come a day when, when people will suppress the truth in their wickedness. Just check this out. Well, I mean, I think when someone tells you who they are, you should believe them. So if a person says that they're a woman or they're a man, then that's them telling you their gender is. I'm, I'm not so sure what, what social um, in interactions would have to do with, with maleness or femaleness that would well, be- I'm not even talking about social context. I'm just, I'm just trying to start by getting to the truth, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm really uncomfortable with that language of like getting to the truth again in social why, why life. Is that, why is that uncomfortable? Because that it sounds actually deeply transphobic to me. Um, and the if truth? you and, and if you keep probing, we're gonna stop the interview. I if I probe I, about what the truth is, you keep invoking the word truth, which is condescending and rude. I'm saying how to is, you, how is the word truth condescending and rude? Why don't you tell me what your truth is, and you're walking on. 30 seconds more of the nights before I get up. What my truth is? Well, I don't think I really have a truth. I think that there's just the truth, like the reality. And so we should begin by trying to figure out what the reality is. So, like I said, right? It's, it's, I hear some chuckles and it, it would be funny if this didn't represent what, what's going on across universities across our country, what's going on in high schools across our country, what's going on in middle schools across our country, unfortunately what's going on in some elementary schools, this, this suppression of truth that, that someone uh, would probably be celebrated for saying uh, truth, that that word is an is a, a uncomfortable topic. I don't like that. It's, it's offensive. It's rude. The word truth, offensive and rude, if there was ever a poster like of suppressing the truth, in wickedness. And so culture now is saying, no, it's, it's tolerance is over truth. Matter of fact, it started with tolerance. It goes from tolerance, and then you, you have to tolerate everything, and then you have to uh, start approving of everything, and then at some point you have to start celebrating everything. This is the, this is the slippery slope of, of tolerance over truth. It's progressivism in our culture, and it's moving at light speed right now, which is why it's so important that somebody in the midst of all of this chaos of progressivism goes, yeah, but maybe I should be a little bit well-versed in what the truth is. Maybe I should be a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, serious about having sound doctrine in my life. Um, the opposite of, of truth, of, of, of absolute truth, would be relativism. 
And let me give you what the definition of relativism is. It's the uh, doctrine that the knowledge, truth, and morality exist in relation to culture, in relation to society, in relation to historical context, and it's not absolute. So if you remember back maybe 10, 15, 18, 20 years ago, it started with this conversation of his truth and what's her truth and what's your truth. You heard him in the interview. Well, what is your truth? And what all of that does, it, it kind of started, and I think some people were hearing that and goes, it's true because your perspective matters and, and your perspective does matter, but it does not affect the truth, right? But, but it was presented in a way where it kind of got us going, oh, that's, that's true. Like, her truth is important, and his truth is important, and that's how it started down this relativism thing where it's like everybody's own, like, perception, everybody's own feelings. And listen, your feelings are, valu- are, are valid, but they're just not always right, because our, our, our heart will lie to us at times. And, and so um, even the definition of relativism is self-defeating because it's presenting um, an absolute truth. It's saying that you can't define truth. That's an absolute truth. That's a whole other thing. Um, here's the problem. Like in our society, there are some absolutes. So we have this, these, these areas where we're going, no, 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 it's, there's no absolute truth. But yet that doesn't work everywhere. For instance, I'll just confess right now, a couple of weeks ago, I got pulled over, pulled over by a law enforcement officer, and his truth was different than my truth. <laughs> I'll go a step further. He didn't seem to be that interested in my truth. He pulled me over, and as I'm being pulled over, I'm actually pretty confident because I'm like, I have not, in my truth, I have done nothing that would merit a ticket. I'm going a couple miles over the speed limit, but, uh, but I'm in the zone where my truth says everything's going to be fine. So as I get pulled over, I'm not, I'm not even going into intercessory prayer like I would normally do in that situation. And maybe that was part of the problem is I did not. And he walks up to the car and he says, do you know why I'm pulling you over? And I said, no. And uh, that part was not supposed to be funny. And then he said, well, you were, you were speeding because he said, did you know that this whole area was a construction zone? And I start looking around. I don't see my truth. I don't see any construction workers. I, I'm looking everywhere. Finally, I look way up the road. I see one orange barrel way up the road. And so at that point, I wanted to be like, this doesn't feel like a construction zone. Matter of fact, I pretty much said that. I said, well, I don't even see anything. Oh, yeah. He goes all the way from here to I-4. It's a construction zone. So this whole area, it's only 45 miles an hour. And it's when he said his truth that I felt like I was in trouble. Now, I knew something. I knew I better not go to court and start telling everybody what my truth was. Well, hey, you know, what I feel like should happen is this. I mean, so there are some absolutes. Like, think about, as we talk about back to school, and uh, next week we're going to honor all of our teachers and everybody who works in our school systems, and so be here next week for that. But as we talk about going back to school, you know, let's fast forward to, like, the first big test that happens for your high school student, right? And so they've kind of studied however much they're going to study, and they go the next day and take the test and when they come home you say how do you feel like you did on the test and they say I feel like I did really good but then when the test score comes it's different than what they felt and it says D minus on there now you're going to march into that teacher and be like now listen little Billy said he felt good about this test and that's his truth no you're not actually some of you might but you shouldn't so we accept these absolutes in certain areas at least for the time being But this is where we're headed, where there's just no, 
like there's just no absolutes anyway. Why is standing for absolute truth so important? First uh, answer to that question would be this, because this subjective reality that, we're, that, that we, we see so much of, it will be the fast track to told the total destruction of traditional and objective morality. They're not, no, no one in, in this, the subjective reality is gonna want you to come down and say, yeah, but there is a God in heaven who says this. It's going to be the destruction of that objective morality that we would find in the truth of God's word. Another reason why it's so important to stand in absolute truth is because of what John chapter eight says. Now let me tell you what John chapter eight does not say. John chapter eight does not say that the truth will set you free, okay? The truth will not set you free. The truth will not set you free. I can sense that somebody's little uh, internal uh, uh, thing is going off and they're ready to argue that point. Listen, the truth won't set you free. John 8 says this. It says, then you will know the truth mm, and the truth will set you free. If just the truth set us free, everybody would be free because there is truth, so everybody would be free. No, it's not until I have knowledge of the truth. It's not until I understand the truth that the truth sets me free. That's why the pursuit of truth is so important. And we, a lot of us have heard John 8, 32 before. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But look, it started with the word then. Then you will know the truth. That should draw us like a magnet to verse 31. For context, what? What would happen in this then? Let's go back one verse to verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, then you'll know the truth. Then the truth will set you free. If you continue in my word, if you have a sound doctrine as the foundation of your life. And so we're gonna uh, bring at this time, we're gonna bring a panel of some, uh, some of our pastors up here. You can give them a hand as they come. Um, as part of this, uh, we can't be afraid to experience and express truth. And so uh, we're gonna kind of go through a couple um, kind of topical areas of, of doctrine that, are, that have gotten kind of real fuzzy uh, in, our, in our culture. And, and I'll say it this way, um, I don't feel like we necessarily chose the topics that we would discuss on a, on a, on a weekend about sound doctrine. Really, society has chosen to rally around these topics uh, and bring confusion uh, at a rate that would demand some clarity from the word of God. And so in that sense, we didn't choose them. Uh, society has chosen them, and, and so that's where we find ourselves today. But before we get into the heavy stuff, let me ask uh, kind of a, a question uh, to all of you. If you could live in any other state other than Florida, I assume a Florida would be the number one choice for all of you. Uh, it better be. But if you could live in any other state other than Florida, what state would you choose? I would have to say the beautiful state of Colorado. Um, my family and I went there last summer, absolutely beautiful mountains, just crazy. Uh, so yeah, Colorado. Right. I would say North Carolina. So couple, obvious, obviously I'm right. Uh, no, um, I, love the, um, I love the mountains, I love the beaches, and I love the seasons. It's like this perfect combination of all the cool things, all I right. think. 
Pastor Sonia? Um, I'd probably pick New York. Um, all, all the people that moved here from New York are saying exactly. like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, right, all right. Um, but probably more like upstate New York because I grew up there for a while and it's just super pretty and nice and I just kind of know the area, so I would pick all right. that. All right, I would say uh, my state would be Arkansas. Wow. Wow. <laughs> because this is a message about sound doctrine and Arkansas is the only state mentioned in the Bible. Genesis chapter eight, Noah looked out the ark and saw land. Thank you, God bless you. Get out of here. That's what, that's why wow. I'm here, amen. So good. Let's get, let's get serious. They love that. Yeah, that was went over awesome. well. Easy crowd. Uh, that's called a dad joke. All right, uh, let's jump in here. Are there, as we look at doctrine, we're gonna look at some uh, sexual ethic um, stuff from in doctrine, and I, I guess I would preface and say this: if there's anybody younger that you in your you know if you have kids in here that you wouldn't want them to be exposed to some of this, this we're not going to talk dirty or anything, uh, but we are going to cover some different sexual ethics, and so uh, we would fully understand that you may want to slip out. That's fine, but just in the general uh, area of of sexual ethic, is is there enough guidelines? Is there sufficient guidelines in the Bible? to be able to be dogmatic about these issues and confidently say, no, this is doctrine in these areas. Yeah, I guess I'll start off with this because I think um, this scripture that I'm about to read, I think it teases up for a lot of, uh, the, the, for a framework of what we're gonna be talking about today. And actually Jesus is the one that uh, is talking here. So he kind of gives us what I would call like the gold standard of sexual intent. All right, so follow, follow along with me. This is Matthew chapter 19, verse, uh, verses four through six. He says, uh, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. And that's usually the part of the marriage ceremony or celebration that you're familiar with. But Jesus is the, uh, the one who spoke this and there's four things, really quick, that I just wanna uh, talk about here. One, that this sexual union should be permanent, and it says, uh, therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate, so that's an important uh, element. Number two, independent. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and so that's that idea of like leaving your family, leave and cleave, uh, maybe you've heard of that before. Uh, number three, monogamous. That means that the two shall become one flesh, it's one couple, it's one relationship. And then finally, it's specific in this area, it says, made them male and female, so that means that it's heterosexual. And so there's all kinds of, you know, we're talking about doctrine today, uh, just amazing truths within this one uh, text or several uh, passages that Jesus speaks out, and that's a lot of what lays, lays the foundation of what we're gonna talk about today, so I think yeah. that's good. Amen, and I think as we continue to unpack these ideas about sexuality and things like that, um, I think a real good place to even start from also is just asking the question, who has the right to define these things? Like, who has the permission, the authority to define how we should live our lives, how we should approach these subjects and situations? And so, of course, I think we have to start with this idea that it would be the designer of the universe. It would be the one who yeah. created all things. It would yeah, be the king yeah. of kings and the lord of lords. It would be that. And so, <clears throat> I think... 
I think starting from that place is, is really, really helpful. Like, my opinion, uh, I mean, I could even go so far to say, like, a pastor's opinion or a church, if it's not rooted in the word of God, then, then we should be very careful about considering applying that to our lives. You know, God's opinions and God's, I should say, God's perspective on these things, it should not be ignored. And, you know, all of Christianity, if, if we really think about it in some ways, it has to do with how we act and how we should not act, what behaviors we should pursue or not, and uh, all throughout scripture, I mean, especially as we get to this subject, I don't know why it is that we start to question the reasoning of God. So, like God says, thou shalt not kill. We're like, okay, that's a good idea. It says we should take care of the widow, we should take care of the poor. Uh, you know, when the scripture says, when Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself, that actually bestowed value on ladies and children, and so yeah. that, that elevated them to a place of honor and value, which, of course, in Western culture, we all agree, yeah. Yeah, of course, but then all of a sudden we step into these subjects of sexuality and we're like, okay, God, well, maybe you're wrong about this. Yeah. I don't see how those two can uh, stand next to each other. So I think all God's truth, when we apply it to our lives and as we learn about it, it leads to healing, it leads to freedom, and it always leads to human flourishing. So we have to go to his yeah, word about these that. things. Yeah. So we're, we're gonna try to cover a couple of topics and uh, we also wanna give you the opportunity because we will be in this collection of like uh, this series next uh, weekend as well. And so you could text in a question if, you, if there's some area of doctrine or some area of question where you're like, have always wondered you know, where the Bible stands on this or it seems like there's a lot of confusion around this. Um, you could text in some questions. We're gonna do our best to hit. Um, like if a question comes in a lot, we'll, we'll try to hit it next weekend in the services, but you can text to that number that there at any point, uh, really any point today or next couple days, you could do that. Um, so my, my next question would be, would be this, with increasing political and cultural advocacy for, uh, for transgender and alternate sexual identities, uh, maybe we could clarify the Bible's position on these critical issues of, of, of gender identity. Um, I think, I mean, I would, I would jump in, you know, the, the verse that uh, Pastor Matt just referenced in Matthew 19, Jesus, uh, he's getting his teaching as he teaches in Matthew 19, he's, he's pulling his foundation from the teaching in Genesis chapter two. Uh, in Genesis chapter two in the NIV, uh, says the Lord God said, it is good for, uh, not good for man to be alone, I will make a helper suitable for him, a help meet, other versions say, suitable, suitable for him. And the uh, Hebrew word there that gets translated as helper or help meet, it, it comes, the Hebrew word literally means opposite him or against him. And so at the very beginning of creation, uh, God was separating gender, was highlighting gender. Uh, this is God's uh, design, and so the attack against that is really a spiritual attack. It's really, it's really man saying the very core biological sense of who I am from God, I'm, I'm gonna come against that and I'm gonna do something different. So this is a, a, a bit of a spiritual issue and so that's kind of where, where we are on that. Yeah, it is, this is such a, such a hot topic in, in my heart right now, especially dealing in, in student <laughs> ministry um, it is crazy out there in our public schools right now. Yeah. Teachers, I love you guys, and I'm praying for you guys all the time. Uh, but Ephesians 5, verse 15 says this, Be very careful, then, how you live, 
not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I have young people, um, middle schoolers, high school, young adults coming into our doors all the time, questioning a lot of things. Um, you need to find out what your students, what your middle schooler is learning in school. I've had parents that um, turns out that their, their students, are, their, their children are being pulled out of classes um, and going to the counselor at different counseling sessions, um, trying to figure out how to come out to their parents and the parents have no idea that they're being pulled out of classes. Um, gotta make sure they're learning math and English because they need it. Um, we have to be aware of that. Um, if I can just speak to parents and leaders, um, guys, there's still such a thing as going through puberty. Yeah. Okay? Like, how many remember entering middle school or high school and you were like awkward.com, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Acne, weren't quite developed yet. It was kind of weird. But eventually you go through puberty. This is just life. And you Amen. grow out of it. Yeah. It is crazy to think that we're going to tell a middle school girl that she is wrong. That this is not. We have to look at our children, look at our students, and tell them every day that they're beautiful. Amen. That God has a plan for them. So powerful. Yeah, so powerful. And eventually, there, you know, you just gotta, you gotta let give your your body time to develop. It's just, it's 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 science. It is. So to assume because there's a young girl who has yet developed, or a, or a guy who doesn't necessarily like sports, to think, oh well, you know what? You're this and you're that. We should rebuke that in Jesus' name. Amen. Parents, you have the greatest gifts in the world. The Lord had chosen you to raise your child. So you have the authority and the, the responsibility to every day grab your child, lay hands on them and go, you are beautiful, you are perfect, and yes. God has a plan yeah. for your life. Amen. Yeah, yeah, have those conversations, definitely. I was just gonna mention this. I just had a meeting this week with a, an amazing member of our church, and he's running for the local school board. And one of the reasons that he's so passionate about this is because of some of the indoctrination that is happening. And if we think that this is all just theory and like, oh, someday it's gonna affect our kids, like Pastor Sonny was saying, no, it's, it's affecting those that are coming to our youth ministry now, uh, but this is happening in real time. Like, we're living this right now. And so I applaud the fact that he's stepping up and getting outside of his comfort zone. And, uh, you know, I think that's a worthy cause. And so I applaud that. Um, but he said that there are those that are running for these positions that are uh, placed there by advocates. And so there's people that are in these positions that don't really have a, a burden for anything else. But the, the primary reason for them running is to uh, bring this idea of what's called transing. And I had to like, when I was meeting with him, I said, hey, give me a definition. I mean, I know what this is, but in case I didn't, maybe just share this. So he said, it's encouraging students to turn into another sex. It is that obvious. So let's say there is a moment of confusion, a moment of vulnerability, and then they're sent to uh, you know, a, a counselor. There are those that are preaching this idea that you know what, because you're feeling this, they're being affirmed and they're being told, mm -hmm. this is why you're feeling that and here's what you should do. And it's so toxic and it's so unhealthy, and so I just had this thought. You know what, especially this year, man, I'm gonna get out, I'm gonna vote, uh, and put people that have a biblical worldview in these positions just so that we can help protect because uh, that's part of our role as the church. 
Amen, yeah, and I think just as, as both of these pastors have been saying, we have to do our do everything that we can to um, take responsibility for training these children up in the way that they should go. And uh, God has given us incredible gifts in these young people. And let's just take that responsibility, let's take that to the next level and, and think through these things. You know, the scripture says that we should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the reason I pause on mind is because I think that the church, we need to be prepared to think through these issues because our students have questions Questions. And the Bible says in 1 Peter that we should be prepared to give an answer for difficult questions. And so, you know, as I think about transgenderism and gender dysphoria and all the things that that is, I can't help but think about other situations where the mind does not meet the, the state in which the body sees itself. So, you know, as I, as I bring up the subject, the very difficult subject of, of those who battle with anorexia or bulimia and those who struggle with that, here we have the same thing. It's, it's the mind saying to the body that you are not the way you should be, that you're overweight, that you're just not pretty or whatever it is. And, and here we can stand as a culture, though, and say, you know what? You are okay, and you probably shouldn't rush to a doctor and demand that it's bigoted if they don't perform liposuction on you if you're an anorexic. And the reason I bring this up is because as we think through these issues and try to reason and come to a place of, of truth, it's, we have to look at that, and we have to say, well, no, that isn't the way it should be. You are who God made you, and we are going to love you through this. We're going to see you restored, and we're going to see you healed. Amen. Yeah. I... I think it's important as we discuss topics like this to realize that these are people who are bound in confusion and yeah. most did not choose that struggle. Um, and it's obviously, it's being, that struggle is being affirmed and the confusion is being added to, to the point that if I have those same feelings about parts of my body, I can find doctors who will line up to take that those parts off my body because it has to do with gender and it has to do with that agenda. But I think as, as the church, we, we gotta keep in mind, we're, we're not against these people who are battling with this confusion. We're against this, this concept. We're against the, the forces of evil that are making, that are, that are really using this to, to destroy people's lives. And uh, it's important just to keep that, keep that in mind. Uh, let, me, let me go to our, our next question here, um, kind of on this same, in the same realm, but as, as we talk about doctrine, is there cl clear biblical doctrine concerning a homosexuality? And, uh, and if so, what, what does that look like? And, and before they answer, let me, let me just say this, that for over a thousand years of Bible scholarship and exegesis, all, nearly all major denominations, Catholic, Orthodox, Anglican, uh, including 50,000 Protestant denominations, they held the same traditional position on this sexual ethic of homosexuality because the Bible is that conclusive on it. It really wasn't until the last several decades that uh, people started to come up with these alternative interpretations of these scriptures that have been around forever. No one found any new manuscripts. Nobody found any new documents. Uh, it's just that culture was shifting on it, and so we decided let's suppress the truth in some of these areas so that our desires uh, can come to the, to, to the, to the surface. But uh, what, what do we have to say about doctrine in, in this area? Well, I just wanted to say that I love this forum that we can talk about such a difficult subject. I love this because we can be very sensitive, and I think the church should always be so careful and sensitive and speak with love 
Uh, a lot of times we can have the right message, but if we have the wrong delivery, then it's not received. Yeah. Yeah. And so, man, we want to love people for, for where they are and what they're going through. And so we always want to have that as a starting point. But Jesus um, is very, very specific about this. Uh, many people have the argument and they say, well, because Jesus didn't say the words homosexuals specifically, then maybe he doesn't have an opinion about it. And if you really research and you look at uh, the context of, of what he was saying, like I think it's in yeah, Mark chapter 7, uh, he uses the word sexual immorality. So if you look at what that term means, it actually means any sexual activity outside of the marriage of a man and woman. And so that covers a lot of different uh, you know, sexual sins, and homosexuality is obviously included in, in that. And so uh, he's, he is addressing it. And so although he doesn't say the, the term specifically, it is addressed, not to mention what Paul goes on later in the New Testament and specifically addresses. So there's a lot of things that Jesus doesn't specifically name, like uh, you know, bestiality or spousal abuse, but we know his opinion on it based on the entire context of the word of God. And so that's how we view the word. It's not just the red letters that Jesus specifically taught, but the whole thing is the word of God or the words of God. Right. And there is no ambiguity there. It's like pretty clear. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, that's a dangerous path to go on. This, you'll hear that a lot. Did Jesus mention this particular topic? But we know all scriptures God breathes, so dangerous road to be on. Um, there's, a, there's a new argument that I've heard in the last few years um, concerning that when the Bible talks about homosexuality, that it's actually talking against pedophilia. And that's what the Bible meant. Um, but let me just shed some light. A lot of people that use that argument and they, it's, they talk about it to young people, they put it out there anywhere. They base it off Leviticus 18.22, which says this, do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman that is detestable. Um, and the word right there, what they're saying, they're translating the word zakar, which is the, the word for man in the original language, zakar, Z-A-K-A-R, saying that that means young boy, a boy, a little boy. So it's detestable to have relations with boys. Here's the thing. When you look at the original language, um, that word, zakar, that word, it says it is defined as the male species, as not a female. The age in there is not really, that's a constructive bias. That doesn't really make sense there. It doesn't say anything about youth. It doesn't give anything in the context that would demand to be like, oh, it's a young boy. If you keep reading in Leviticus, Leviticus 20:13, it uh, continues explaining that. It says, if a man has sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. They are to be put to death. Their blood will be on their own heads. So here's, in this verse, it says both of them have done what is detestable. If it meant young boy, why is it both detestable? Because it would be an adult preying on a young boy. Um, but it says both, both are punished, both is detestable. It is clear that God is forbidding um, relations with their own gender. Not to mention there's a ton of other scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament that speak against homosexuality. So that argument, pedophilia, is, is not a theologically sound argument. It is, it, is, it is not true, it is not real. Yeah, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament really speak with one voice on this, on this topic. Um, I, I wanna read a mention in 1 Corinthians chapter six, verse uh, nine and 10. I wanna first start with those two verses. It says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Um, let me say this. If this was a matter of hate 
this, if this wasn't fueled out of love, we would stay away from this. Why would we bring the heat on of discussing this topic? The only reason why we would do that is because if I believe in sound doctrine, if I believe what the Bible says, then I would want people to know what the truth is. Amen. Yeah. And um, that's not hate. It's not hate to call sin, sin in any other area. Because watch, Paul says, don't be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. He starts naming some sins. I could talk about some of the sins he names. Uh, he says homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, uh, revilers, extortioners. They, they won't inherit the kingdom of God. I could mention some of these other sins and everybody, nobody would accuse me of hating if I said it's not good. It's not God's best for your life to be a liar. It's not God's best uh, for your life to uh, be an adulterer. It's not God's best for your life to steal from somebody. And no one would accuse me of hate, but yet in, the, in a couple of these areas, we've gone, well, no, that's, that's hate speech. No, it's, it's, it's love speech because it's the truth. Amen. It says they won't inherit the kingdom of God. But I want to read the next verse because sometimes the next verse uh, gets left out and it's so powerful, it's so important. Because the next verse says, and that, those remember those list of sins, many of them, mm-hmm. and that is what some of you were. Amen. Past tense. It speaks of deliverance. It speaks of yes. transformation. It speaks of God's mercy and grace Amen. still changing lives. Amen. And we are seeing that all the time, and the church can never uh, ignore the power of the transformation, transforma- transformation power of Jesus Christ. Yes. And um, Sonia, I want you to read that text that you got recently. It's uh, from a young man, an incredible young man in our church who, um, you, you can go ahead. He, yeah. um, um, he used to uh, live a, a gay lifestyle, homosexual lifestyle, um, and he's walking with the Lord. Um, he was watching this video um, on social media, um, and it was uh, explaining it was kind of um, uh, celebrating um, living this lifestyle and saying you're finally living your truth. Talking about the truth, this is your truth, this is your real self. Um, And he texted me this. He said, this is the narrative the gay community is telling the world. And it dismisses an internal change within. It is based on mere human understanding and not in a life led of faith and of truth. I don't choose to stay here because you preach really good or because mainstream and faith assembly are cool environments. The LGBT community thinks that, but the truth is I truly encountered Jesus and that changed me. Come on. I'm being managed by no one. I'm only being led by the Holy Spirit. It's good, amen. And the community wants me to think otherwise. Amen. Praise God. Would you do me a favor? Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes as we get ready to just close this service out with prayer? Across all the campuses, if you would, go ahead and close your eyes. And as I get ready to pray, I, I think I would, I would want to preface my prayer with a verse of Scripture in Galatians chapter 5. Because there might be some that are under the sound of my voice, no, no doubt there are, who would say, maybe thinking in their, in their minds, they'd be thinking, well, I'm, I'm gay, what am I supposed to do? And I say, well, if you're, if you're gay, if you're queer, here's what I would tell you. Jesus loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. 
Uh, I'm an addict, though, and I, I would say, Jesus loves you, wants to have a relationship with you. Well, I, I'm an adulterer. Uh, Jesus loves you, wants to have a relationship with you. I, I'm a murderer. I feel like I'm, I'm perverse. Like, whatever the history is, the, the truth of the gospel is still the same, that Jesus loves you and wants to have a relationship with you, so much so that he dies in your place so that that can be possible. That's the good news of the gospel. Now, if there were bad news, I guess this would be the bad news. Once I receive that good news, once I receive that gift of his death, now I die for him. Now I die to my will. I die to my way. I, di I die to my desires. I, di I die to my agenda. And he's the king. So I can't go changing the laws of the land. I can't go changing the spiritual laws because he's a king. He's not just my savior. But he's my Lord, and when he's my Lord, like Pastor Jason said, he gets to call the shots on my life. That's what Galatians 5 is talking about before we pray. Galatians 5 verse 16 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit. That's why we can't trust our feelings. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Verse 24 says, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.